Welcome everybody to the seminar for uh, week five. It's, uh, it's uh, as Lawrence was just saying, it's, it's great to see that we're in the middle of the term and we're still having these fantastic turnouts every week. It's, uh, it's a sold out house every uh, Tuesday night at the, at the LAC and we're very grateful for your participation this term. It's a real pleasure uh, to have tonight uh, a, a good friend of the LAC and a frequent visitor to Oxford, uh, Dr. Bert Hoffman from the German Institute of Global and Area Studies in Hamburg. Uh, or GIGA as it's known, and um, Bert is currently the acting director of, the, of our sister institution, the Institute of Latin American Studies inside uh, GIGA, and he has a, a long record of being one of the main voices on uh, Cuba and Cuban politics here in Europe. He's very active in the Latin America, uh, EU Latin America section within LASA as well as Cuban studies. He works a lot on uh, migration and diasporas. And he wrote his uh, PhD thesis, uh, one of the very early contributions about the role of internet in, in uh, political mobilization in Latin America at the Free University of Berlin. And lately he's been working on how the internet interacts with civil society uh, in Cuba, which um, I think I knew this topic would bring some new faces to our uh, event tonight because it's such an interesting topic. And we really look forward to what Bert has to say. So welcome, Bert. Okay. Thanks very much. Well, thank you very much, uh, Tim, for the introductory words and the kind of remarks, and of course for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be back at Oxford. Um, and without further ado, I think I should get started. Um, but you had the chance to admire the new logo well, the, of the LAC. Yeah. Um, so I will uh, delete that now from the screen. <laughs> No, no, it doesn't want to. Doesn't want to. No, it, it, it's permanent. There you go. Okay. Um, so the issue will be uh, in general terms of the impact of the internet. That is short for all the digital media. Of course, in the internet there are different kind of um, applications, as you all know, and how that impacts on the public sphere and the politics of a country such as Cuba. And I um, will start with that photo. And this photo is probably one of the most famous ones from the early days of the revolution. That's uh, Fidel Castro entering Havana on January 8, 1959, so more than half a century ago. And as you can see in this picture, it's a whole model of communication if we want. There's someone standing a bit above the rest with a microphone in hand, being the only one speaking and an audience listening. And he's wearing a uniform and someone else is standing next to him also in uniform and s silencing everybody else because it's time to listen to a leader uh, broadcasting news of where the country is heading. Um, with a bit of imagination we can kind of see this as a mold of what then was being built into the national broadcasting system, into the newspaper. It was what the media sociologists call a one-to-many communication, one speaking or broadcasting, not just in, it's not a Cuban invention, it comes the traditional model of mass communication that you have sent us from which you have one messages being distributed to many. So that in a way is the traditional model in very iconic and rather not uh, political science theoretical terms but you probably can translate that easily into that literature. 
Okay, so if we come now to a bit the, the issues that are at stake in what I will be speaking about today. Um, we have a democratization literature, um, Donald Schmitter-Whitehead, of course, but also Andrew Rato, many others, who spoke about the importance of civil society, resurrection or activation of civil society actors in phases of liberalization or uh, is crucial for democratization. We have another line which goes a bit uh, back further. That's the concept of Albert Hirschman of voice, voice, exit, and loyalty. Um, I don't want to bore you with um, much of that, but I think it's a good concept which I will refer to in a way that voice is kind of everything from uh, um, protest demands uh, to... Okay, I should speak louder, I will. <laughs> the voice needs to be heard. <laughs> okay, but the issue I want to focus on is that it's not just raising voice, but also having the means to reach the audience, to be heard, to become meaningful. And one of the issues Hirschman develops in there also is the need of horizontal voice um, to, for the development of vertical voice. Vertical voice means kind of protests on the street, at streets addressing to the government or a client uh, addressing to the owner of the shop or whatever, this kind of vertical relation. And horizontal voice would be among peers, among people trying, hey, should we go to the demonstration or not? Uh, what do you think? Should we act? This type of peer-to-peer -peer communication is important and I think for our discussion it becomes very important in what way the digital media impact on that. And then we've got, of course, the term public sphere with all the Habermasian uh, cloud to it. Uh, I will not speak of ideal type public sphere. Um, we have not only in Cuba, but in many regimes and probably also in the democratic regimes kind of in practice, what we could call public sphere with adjectives and um, with certain limitations, restricted, incipient, weak, you can kind of uh, uh, choose what we have. But I just want to take one of the authors who used that concept for um, the Arab countries and particularly the impact on of Al Jazeera on the Arab countries. Um, speaking of new publics, um, obviously not in the classical uh, strict sense of public sphere, but it, he made the case that it makes sense to speak of publics um, as active arguments before an audience about issues of shared concern. That's a very minimal definition, but I thought I would um, um, put it here because it does make some sense to, to uh, think about what we really mean when we speak about public, public's, public sphere. Okay, that's um, all I would uh, present here briefly as conceptual terms. We can uh, get back to that in the question-answer sessions if you're more interested in that. Um, now I would just briefly sketch the thing with the media old and new. All of you are kind of familiar in practical terms with that, just to reflect upon what the crucial differences are. The traditional media have been linked to the nation-state. BBC had been the British Broadcasting Service. And although they have an international outreach program, it's an extra effort to do it. It's not that you could not smuggle journals into the Soviet Union, but it was an extra effort. The regular distribution channels of Time magazine were not 
to other countries, but was a US um, magazine. So most of the traditional media are essentially um, born in and bound to the nation state with extra efforts to go beyond it. One of the important things that they are separate technologies. TV has been a very different infrastructure than telecommunications. There was a ministry for postal services which had nothing to do with the regulation of newspapers. And that was a very diff different way to handle that. Tri in general, traditional media were centralized media, not only on January 8, 1959, but the traditional broadcasting system is. That's why revolutionaries wanted to occupy those commanding heights to uh, uh, occupy the TV station and then you get the message across. It was a centralized structure. And it was what I mentioned before, essentially one to many medias, there was one sender, the state or the company, and many recipients. Of course, in a plural system, there were many one-to-many one -many media, not just one, but the general idea is that the newspaper came out with 100,000 uh, copies and everybody read those 100,000 copies and it was uh, the staff at the newspaper who decided what's in there and what's not. Okay, if we have that uh, in democratiz for democratization, the widening of the public sphere or liberalization was thought of as an opening or for liberalization of the regime, of being becoming more permissive. But it was essentially a function of of um, the the regime. If we look at digital media, of course, you can have a very different set. Digital media, most as at least, are inherently cross-border. With the internet, it takes an eff extra effort not to let it into your country, to block certain sites. But essentially, once it's on the web, it is everywhere available except where it's blocked. They are integrated technologies. The telephone, or the camera, is the YouTube recipient, and that causes certain challenges to those who want to regulate the sector. We have it. Uh, in, in Britain as in Germany, but just one of the issues we have in non-democratic governments is also what some have called the dictator's dilemma, because you cannot develop one sector without restri uh, and restrict another one at the same time. If people have cell phones, modern cell phones, they also have cameras, and they can easily use those. If you have computers, that links to all the uses a computer can have, which is not just an engineering tool, but also a multimedia device. So you cannot easily separate that by restricting some of the users. You get more problems. Um, you cannot isolate the tools that easily or at a higher cost to uh, affecting other instruments you would like. There should be more coming. Okay. Decentralized, um, of course, they're not all decentralized. Of course, we have big companies. I already know that Google is not a, a very decentralized issue, but we have a lot of decentralized uses of these media. A lot of people can become, and that is what has come to the last point, many to many media <coughs> blogs. I don't know how many blogs there are in Britain. Uh, I suppose tens of thousands of blogs. You have a lot of people posting things. You have uh, uh, Twitter, you have Facebook, where people become senders. The question is how many people read it. Um, not everybody has got that many followers, but it's a many-to-many -many medium in that sense. There's other differences, but I think those should be enough to um, have my argument that we have a different 
a challenge in terms of democratization. You can have not a movement by the regime only, but you have a contestation of the public sphere by assertions of citizenship using these media as they are available. And then the regime has to react or not, uh, in a way, but it's a different <coughs> logic. And I want to develop this argument in the following 35 minutes, which I probably have still, um, to how that plays out. But first, brief look at Cuba. Um, we have a monopolistic situation in the sense of defining the laws via the Constitution, but I put that quote up, which is probably the under Fidel Castro, it was kind of the supreme law and that was within the revolution everything, against the revolution nothing, um, in terms of regulating what is allowed and what not. And of course it was up to the leadership to say if this or that was within the revolution or not. Mm, you had a monopoly on physical space, also in this very um, uh, uh, pertinent slogan the street is of the revolutionaries. The street should be only for the street in the sense of immobilizing a street where you could have a demonstration or not. And we still have that today. You also had others like La Universidad de los Revolucionarios. That was kind of a um, monopoly <coughs> on physical space, always defining what is revolutionary and what not. And then you have the formalized monopoly in mass media and the Constitution, Article 53. The citizens are granted the liberty of word and press in accordance with the goals of the social society. The material conditions for its exercise are given through the fact that press, radio, television, cinema, and other means of mass communication are state or social property and under no circumstances can be object of private property. That, of course, was written before the internet came there. The big question is, how can you translate that into the digital age? Um, how can you have an internet that is state or social property, how can you uh, adapt this um, constitutional prescription. So just briefly what have been, before I come to a concrete example, briefly what have been the general responses to this challenge. Well first it's kind of within the context of what I uh, call here the master narrative of domestic pol politics as a prolongation of the confrontation between Cuba and the United States of this, um, uh, which side are you on, with the Yankees or with Fidel in crude terms, but that all domestic politics kind of translate into this logic of nationalism versus traitors. And uh, in that sense, the internet was seen as a weapon of war. Um, that was actually the title of a book by the uh, armed forces in, I think, 94. Um, Una arma de guerra de Estados Unidos, that was seen as kind of uh, in this logic of the revolutionary struggle against imperialism and the imperialism trying to subvert the revolution. And that was, in a way, why Cuba was the last country of uh, Latin America to adopt the internet, to really have an internet protocol that was in 90, 1996, after quite a long debate within the leadership. Again, we have a monopoly situation. The um, internet service provider is, of course, a monopoly. I say, of course, because it's within the logic described above, a monopoly of the state. And you have, still today, 
no possibility to have residential private access in Cuba except for those who are, have exceptions like foreigners, like uh, artists, like uh, some other people. But generally access is through the workplace where people have access and pretty recently they set up some uh, uh, internet cafes in all the provinces at pretty high prices but there's no residential access foreseen for the population even if they could afford it. A lot of access to the web in fact is to an intranet. Um, the Cubanet or the medical sector has got a pretty pretty the medical sector's web is pretty well done in many ways but it is a closed net for Cubans only. They download a lot of journals from the world into the domestic medical Cuban web. It's not the World Wide Web. Some years ago there was a Cuban statistic that about 10% of the connected computers actually are connected to the World Wide Web. This uh, data will have changed a bit. Data are not that available. I think it's up by now but no, not all that are who are connected are connected to the browser you know. Many do have email and um, that is very widespread among at least the urban uh, uh, people. You have a very low uh, computer rate uh, and you have also a very low telephone rate compared to all other countries of the region. And you have a very late spread of cell phones. Fidel Castro was very much against esos telefonitos as he called them. He saw them only as a status symbol which of course uh, we as dignified revolutionaries shouldn't have by now cell phones have been spreading quite a lot it's a pretty massive phenomenon by now you have to be aware that the Cuban population is many have connections to the outside world it's a very open economy very open society in many ways uh, due to um, tourism and of course to immigration many 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 have family friends abroad and uh, bringing cell phones into Cuba or sponsoring the cost of cell phones is one of the key remittances in kind we have in Cuba. So the key restrictions on internet are not that much on content, it's not the firewall logic that much. They can have all that, it's a monopoly, uh, but the key restriction is on access. And then I just briefly want to sketch some of the most important, in my perspective, uses of digital technologies by the society. We have emails. Emails have become really, really ordinary things for all those people who have some kind of, um, let's say, desk-related work in a way. Of course, not the farmers in the countryside, but emails have become very, very popular. And there's a big need to communicate due to the high rate of emigrants you want to keep contact to. But it's also become a very important horizontal communication we will see in the example I will be giving and which really has changed a lot and also email communication as list serves. For instance there is a the homosexual community has not a journal because they haven't got the right to have a journal and um, although they are pretty uh, they're very liberal policies towards homosexual but not towards press but they have a list serve reaching out to about 5,000 subscribers in Cuba which is very active so there actually is a not just a one-to-one -one mail communication but in a way a, a journal uh, in digital email form we have blogs 
and some have become famous internationally. Uh, probably some have heard of Johannes Sanchez, probably the most well-known and actually has become one of the lead voices of the opposition as a blogger. But there are many, many other people doing blogs um, from within the establishment, from outside of the establishment, on baseball or whatever people do. It's not as massive as in other parts of the world perhaps, but it's still a lot of people engaging in that, especially among the intellectual uh, professionals here. Then we have leaks to the web. We don't have wiki leaks in that sense, but we have a lot of smaller leaks where people have been filming with their small cell phone conversations which were not meant to be for the public. We have some cases that have become pretty pretty um, uh, well known where behind closed doors meetings have been filmed and that has been leaked to YouTube and since then spread to the world but always feeding back into Cuba what is leaked in that way Every, everybody uh, in Havana also becomes aware of and those things circulate by USB sticks or uh, other ways within the island. And also a lot is circulating by word of mouth. Have you heard that? Um, people may not have seen the video but everybody is in the know. We have a very important function of bypassing state institutions. Of course there has been a mo monopoly on doing music production, on doing filmmaking and all that. We have a whole alternative production of films, of music, which is bypassing <coughs> the, the big um, institutions created for that. And also for audiences you can bypass the monopoly on concert halls if that is what you're content with to be on YouTube and some uh, probably um, if, you, if you take the more um, critical music bands from the hip-hop scene for instance they all have a bit pretty relevant audience uh, traveling by digital means and not so much in the traditional music hall events my focus here will now not be on the big 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 events like the Facebook revolution supposedly um, where masses come together um, and we have a revolt and this but rather and, and it, I will also not uh, focus on the prominent cases of dissidents or on Yanni Sanchez we can speak about that uh, but I want to focus on the emerging what I see as emerging public contestations in the fabric of society and not the everyday perhaps but almost everyday kind of changes the internet has in how society relates to the state and uh, to the institutions. So the case I bring you is the incident uh, centering around Robertico. Has anybody heard about the Robertico Caracases incident? Just three months ago, two months ago, you, but it... Uh, no, I, I think it's only in the past, actually, no. Okay, no. So that is good, that confirms my, what I wanted to hear. <laughs> it's not a prominent case. It has not been the Tahrir Square. It's something that didn't even make headlines, and I think it's pretty interesting, nevertheless. We had an official concert for the liberation of the, what's in Cuba called the Cinco Héroes, five uh, Cubans um, who are tried in the United States or have been sentenced as uh, Cuban spies in Florida. And from the Cuban side, they are the heroes who have been fighting against 
against uh, mafia terrorism from the Cuban exiles. So that's a big, big campaign for by now 10 years, and there was an official concert in the most propaganda-style uh, concert venue they have on the Malecon, right in front of the US uh, section of interest. So in that concert, that was live on Cuban State TV, and then Robertico Cacaces, that's his name, um, of the band Interactivo was one of those performing there and singing and then he began to improvise and now I hope that this works. <laughs> That's why we got the... It's being blocked from Havana. It's running in the other top. <laughs> the other top on the top, I think, is running. That. Yeah. That. No. Oh, no. That <laughs> was your. <laughs> that was the test video. <laughs> Now, now we have the picture of Gangnam Style with the improvisation of Roberto Cacacet. <laughs> Let me see if... Go back to the... Yeah, just hit the play button again and see what happens. Yeah, now you got it. Sorry, leave it like this. Yeah. Just to know everybody understands Spanish more or less, I have the letter, uh, the letters, <laughs> the text following uh, right afterwards. live on Cuban State TV. Um, so here comes the text. I translated briefly perhaps to um, I want that the five heroes will be liberated and that Maria will be liberated. Maria will be easily translated by some in the audience as marijuana. There's no other Maria in the room. <laughs> Leave free access to information so that I have my own, so can make my, have my own opinion. I want to elect the president by direct votes, by direct vote, and not by any other means. So that is pretty direct to the heart of the matter. 
um, that the blockade uh, will be finishing, but also the blockade finishes, but also the self-blockade, uh, please, which would refer to the Cuban state uh, blocking people from their initiatives and liberties. And, and he points, with we said blockade, he points uh, to the back, and that's where the US section of interest is. So that was clear, but also the other blockade in the country. No cadres, no, no cadres, no dissidents, but Cubans, all Cubans with the same rights. So pretty straightforward. And that's not straightforward. Uh, so if I've got the, the card, what's the problem with my car? And that refers to a trouble he had been having with the authorities on, he wants to buy a car, he has got money, he's a singer, he's uh, got, got uh, hard currency income, and he has already got a paper that says he can get the car, but he has never got the car. And so, <laughs> what's what's the matter with my car? <laughs> and then again, I want to have the five heroes liberated, but also Maria. Okay, so that so far is a fine interaction of physical space, the concert right in the Malecon uh, of Cuban state TV, and then we saw it on YouTube. But in effect what happened is he kidnapped old media. He, he, there was kind of a, a screenplay to do for him, and he improvised, which of course was a prepared improvisation, I suppose, um, but it was so far in old media. Stage, microphone, audience, all in the physical space, live on state TV, and we didn't have a power cut. Um, which could have been an option. Um, some said, there was somebody cited from the Institute of uh, Radio and Television, we were caught off base, uh, which is a baseball met metaphor, I'm not sure <laughs> in Britain that works, but we were, we were not prepared, we didn't know. It has also to do with uh, the need of people before they do this kind of, they react, they have to consult with a superior normally. It's not. I mean, and that is a process, and so that went over state TV, and then it was immediately internationally visible, at least for those interested, that's not you, you haven't seen it, but the Cubans in Miami will have seen it, and the Cubans in Berlin have seen it too. So what was the state's reaction? It was only behind the scenes, there was um, no declaration made public, but uh, they called him up and they said, um, you are banned uh, from any further performance. Um, so until we clear this up, um, that was pretty straightforward. But how would you, how do we know? And um, and that was one of the the immediate reactions, immediate headlines from one of the Cuban uh, diaspora uh, uh, websites. Cuban bandleader commits musical suicide. That's what you would expect to have been the case after this kind of. Uh, deviating from the script. So what happened? The singer himself made the sanction public. The singer himself, they, the band has got a Facebook website of course, and he uh, put up on Facebook um, this which had happened behind the scenes that the authorities told him that uh, he can't forget about getting on a stage in Cuba. And on the same message he defends what he had been saying and says he got the right to do so. That's from the from the website. We don't have to read it all now, it's probably too small for it anyway, but that's uh, what he write. First he repeats the, the, the improvisation, 
And that's, that's what I was saying at the Tribuna Anteprelista. And then I should have a pointer here, I don't know. Um, okay, anyway, El Funcionario de Cultura, que me citó al día siguiente, the functionary who cited me, and to which, whom I respect, um, and who respects me, said those declarations didn't have, didn't, are not in line with the Cuban Revolution. Uh, I was an opportunist to say that, and um, por tanto se me aplicaría una sanción por tiempo indefinido. And um, consistente en ser vital en todas las instituciones regidas por ese organismo. Banned from all Cuban public stages. Um, but that's the singer who says that that was a sanction, it was not the uh, official. So, and then he defends it um, and says, um, as much as I uh, re-view uh, the video, I no veo por qué no se avienen mis ideas a la línea de la revolución cubana. I don't know why they shouldn't be part of the Cuban Revolution if we are in the process of perfectioning it every every time. I wanted to contribute to have the Cuban Revolution better, and I'm completely within the revolution, meaning within the rhetoric framework dentro de la revolución, which I sketched in the beginning. Okay. What happened then? We have an online echo, which I can easily bring to you. Of course, we have an echo on the streets in Havana, which I cannot bring you that easily. But you can imagine that it was the talk of many people the day after, because that's not what you usually expect on your TV. And that's the online echo. Some from outside, some from inside. The one saying that the one up here, the, um, yeah. I'm completely against uh, Robertico Carcasses, what he did in the con concert, uh, Mi Indignación. Yeah? Another one, Te apoyamos, Robertico, we support you. Lia Villar, she's in Cuba, um, she said, um, um, to read from here, um, why the government's so offended um, by this, they should um, stop censoring us um, when we mention problems. And so it's got a whole kind of wave of reactions, not only from abroad, as people assume, but also on the web from those from within who work the web, but many more on this email exchange. Have you seen yesterday? And on the streets. And also particularly within the cultural community, which feels kind of, that is one of us, what do we do? And people commenting it. So. We have horizontal communication, much more than we had before, because now from Santiago de Cuba to Havana and Camagüey, it is very easy to communicate the same email. Have you seen yesterday on TV? It will spread to a lot of people. <coughs> we had international repercussion, and we have a certain political context. That's also important. We have a context where Raul Castro has started a gradual, moderate, uh, whatever you want to call it, process of reform, and he wants a positive image, not just abroad, but also to the domestic cultural actors, in a way. So now enters what I call the moment civic courage number two, Silvio Rodriguez. Probably more people know Silvio Rodriguez than that video. Silvio Rodriguez is one of the two most well-known, internationally famed grand icons, cultural icons of the Cuban Revolution. Um, since the late 1960s. And beyond that, Silvio Rodriguez had been much more than Pablo Milanes, who would be the other one, the icon of loyalty. Just to give you the extreme case, 10 years ago, Silvio Rodriguez still 
signed a petition where the Cuban um, or people from the cultural sector should uh, uh, subscribe that three people should receive the death penalty for trying to to kidnap a boat to the United States and he, f he signed it which then already was an issue and he said no it's an act of loyalty I have to so he's a very much from within the regime so if he comes out speaks out is something not that usual for the country so what he does is he uses his blog again his personal individual uh, medium to publicly invite Robertico to his next concert in spite of the sanction. That's his blog called Segunda Cita and um, again long text I will not read it all to you that's um, from Silvio's blog um, where he says I took the decision uh, to invite him to the next concert precisely because I heard about the uh, the sanction he is receiving that he should be uh, banned from public performances. So that is a strong act of disobedience in a way. And then he says a lot of things. He says, Robert, I, I completely disagree with Robertico that he used that uh, place there. He offended many people. I was, uh, I think it was stupid. He distances himself from, from that. But then he says, Como ciudadano cubano, as a Cuban citizen, Robertico tiene derecho. So he makes the case that we are citizen and citizen, as citizens, Robertico had the right to say even things I completely disagree with. So, and in the end, that is what happened. And it's again Silvio Rodriguez who um, announces that the authorities withdrew the sanctions. Um, it looks like uh, Reuters. Uh, Cable, Noticia, La Habana, Martes, uh, uh, 17 September, but it's Silvio Rodriguez saying uh, the authorities of the Ministry of Culture uh, met today with Robertico Cacases and the conversations were so positive that they decided to leave without effect the sanctions. Okay, so that is quite interesting. And then the singer on his Facebook page uh, confirms and thanks. La sanción ha sido revocada, and I want to thank everybody. So the last episode then takes place in physical space, and that is the concert where Robertico was invited by Silvio Rodriguez, and it's the embrace. <coughs> so that story, there are acting misses act. Oh, there are actors missing. The monopoly, the state's monopoly. There was no word which at least I am aware of, and I think I should be aware of some, um, there was no word from the Ministry of Culture saying this or that to the case. There was no word from the Artists' Union, which could speak out in favor or against or whatever, because it's one of their members. There was no word on State TV on that. And there was no word on this as far as uh, I know in the newspaper. The monopoly of communication of information which is a prescription by the Cuban constitution was absolutely mute it was other people doing the the communication and information business so just briefly some conclusions from that the state's vertical media mo model is also its political model it's very closely entwined and so if that model is being challenged 
it's enshrined in the constitution. It's one of the pillars of 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 the system. And if that is eroded, and individual media follow a different logic, what Silvio Rodriguez or Roberto Carcasses in this case did, none of them being a dissident or a political actor in the strict sense, it's kind of claims to citizenship. And I think that is the key, the key um, message in. And this is a very different logic, and that contrasts with the political model of one sender, many receivers. And, and so far, the use uh, that this famous, um, the medium is the message. In this sentence, using these individual media becomes a certain message, because it's the non-acceptance that the official media are the, the only ones to speak of. There are indeed alternative publics emerging probably not on a nationwide civil uh, public sphere in all its uh, uh, dimensions. We have civil society stirrings that are not driven by associations or the quest for autonomy of NGOs. That was in the 1990s, a big debate in Cuba. There was a civil society debate in Cuba, which was how much autonomy do the trade unions have, the environmental organizations, uh, whatever, the cultural organizations. That was a very, very different civil society debate than the one we have here. I borrowed the term from Holsten, who applied it to, to in a study on Brazil. It's a kind of insurgent citizenship, leaving the script at that and raising voice. There is a moment of regime softening. It's not the toughest days of Fidel Castro, but it's Raul Castro putting the country in as some what gradual but still um, continuous reform uh, mode and that in a way is a response to this type of pluralization of society and this uh, greater assertion of um, people speaking up but it's also a certain condition of course the state could react differently to this it could have a much more um, rigid answer to it at other costs and probably other people on other times, Cuba would have had different reactions to that. Um, but Raul Castro, since he took over from Fidel um, some years ago, has tried not to make big cases of people thrown into jail for many, many years, um, giving rise to campaigns uh, uh, on liberating them. So there's a certain political context which um, made possible this. The, this, these developments, but they are not only um, enabling them, but they are also a consequence of society that is changing. What I think is very important that framing the discourse remains key. For this episode to turn out this way, it was crucial that Robertico says, I am within the revolution, and that Silvio can say, well, he is within the revolution, probably he misunderstood. But it's not uh, I am for the return to whatever, or I'm beyond it. Then it's not only about digital media. That's the point I want to stress. There's so much talk about digital media. It's always it's digital media and traditional media and physical space. It's always the three things which have to come together to have such an impact. And it's new media, but old virtues. Without courage, without solidarity, the story wouldn't have taken place either. And no, it's not yet democratization. The red line 
remains the offline political action. Once people take to the streets or take a demand to the parliament or whatever, this is where the story does not get to. It's really about um, much less uh, prominent cases, but nevertheless very much having a big, big impact on society. And I just want to show you the that photo again. That model is no more. This has nothing to do with the episode as I've been uh, recounting it. Of course, there is still a national TV and all this. It's not that this model is not still in the air, but it is not the one that can dominate the uh, communicational space of the country as it um, was intended to be in, uh, uh, in the past. Okay, that's it in brief. And I'm looking forward to your questions, comments, discussions. Thank you very much. Thank you.